Good morning, church. Uh, if you have your Bible, open it to John chapter number four, the Gospel of John chapter number four. We have been uh, several weeks now in a series walking through the Gospel of John, looking kind of at this topic, which is an invitation. It's three words, come and see. The thought, pro- the thought behind this series is we want to take some time in this gospel, look at the life of Jesus, encounter him, and then ask, what does he want of our lives? How does this gospel apply to us today? So we are embracing the invitation to come and see Jesus. So we are still in John chapter 4, and as you turn there, I was reading our passage this week, and it made me think about something that happened a few years back at the previous church that I served at before the Lord led our family here to Saltillo. We were serving at that time at a church in Petal, Mississippi, and the church was located pretty much in the downtown area of Petal. There's really, it's really not a downtown uh, area, but if you thought about downtown Petal, you would think about uh, that, that road and uh, where that church and other businesses in that area are located. But when I served at that church, one of the things that we did pretty much every single morning We showed up at the office, and coffee was usually made by our maintenance guy. He was there well before the rest of us, and we would get into the office kind of one by one, and as we trickled in, we'd get a cup of coffee, we'd hang out in the front office area, and we would just kind of chat about life. Could be something that happened the the evening before, some kind of funny, crazy story. Could be some news article that somebody came across. Could be something in ministry uh, that happened. Whatever the case was, this was kind of like our water cooler time as we began our day in the office together. But one particular morning, I remember I was, I was there, our pastor was there, and I think at that time it was just the two of us in the front office. Now, just to give you a little bit of a, a view of what that looked like, uh, in, in that office, before you walk down the hallway to all of our offices, there were two massive windows that looked out of our building at the main street there in uh, Petal. And so you could see, you know, all the traffic coming by, everything that was happening with local businesses, you could just kind of see it out those windows. Well, I was standing there one morning and sipping on my coffee, talking about, I'm sure, something ridiculous, when a deer ran across uh, the sidewalk there in front of the church. And I remember, as I would do, and I would think you would do as well, is as soon as the deer ran by, I pretty much just yelled, there is a deer outside. Now, we are in the downtown area, so think about Saltillo in the downtown area. Probably not uh, going to be walking down there looking at one of the shops and all of a sudden encounter a deer, right? Probably not going to happen. Businesses, not a whole lot of places for a deer to be, heavy traffic, all those kind of things were the same uh, as I looked out the window. So this is not an everyday occurrence as I'm standing in the office sipping on coffee for us to see a deer run by. Now, here was the problem in this particular scenario. I was the only one who saw the deer run by. So when I yelled, there's a deer outside, no one believed me. Now, for those of you who know me well, you know I would be honest about everything. Why would you ever think that I was joking or being sarcastic or anything like that, right? And so I yell, there's a deer out there, and no one believes me. And so I have to do what any of us would have to do in that moment. I take my pastor and everybody else at that point who's in the office, and I say, I will prove it. Let's go outside and find the deer. And so we go outside. We look in the breezeway between two of the buildings there on our church campus. There's some blood, so obviously something has been running around or 
it's Halloween, one or the other, right? And so something has been happening. And so we trace the blood to the back parking lot, and there it is, a deer laid out in one of the parking spaces that had ran from the street in front of our office building, smacked against the brick, and then found its way to the back parking lot. Now, I know you're wondering, Danny, why are you telling us this really strange, weird story about serving at the church before this one? Well, mainly it's for a simple reason. One is no one would believe my story. In other words, no one had faith. No one believed that I was telling the truth. And I know you wouldn't think this about me, but in that moment, I was a little insulted. Why would they not believe me? Why would they not trust me that this deer ran in front of the office? And I thought about that moment, and it made me think about what we're going to read in John chapter 4. Can you imagine what Jesus thinks when his followers don't trust him. Now listen, he's dealing with way more important stuff than my story that I shared this morning. He's dealing with lives. He's dealing with eternity. Also, by the way, he's Jesus, right? He's not me telling a story about a deer running into the front of our office. He's Jesus. Our faith in him shouldn't be so weak. As a matter of fact, if anybody knew about genuine faith versus weak faith or fake faith, it was the apostle John. There are numerous times throughout the gospel uh, message where the disciples are taught about faith, where Jesus pulls them to the side and encourages their faith, or other times questions their faith. In Matthew chapter 6, when he's talking about how much God cares for everything in the world, he says to them, oh, you of little faith, if God would care for the grass and the flowers and the birds, don't you know he cares for you? Oh, Oh, you of little faith. In Luke chapter 8, when the disciples are in a boat in the midst of a storm on the sea and Jesus is sleeping, they're confused. Why is he not more concerned about us? And Jesus wakes up, rebukes the wind and the waves, and looks at his disciples and says, where is your faith? Listen, as Jesus did oftentimes in the Gospels, he shows us a moment in John chapter 4 that deals with what genuine, what real, what authentic faith in him looks like. He uses an opportunity with an encounter with a guy in John chapter 4 to teach his disciples, to teach us about faith. As a matter of fact, I want us to read it together. It's in John chapter 4. It begins in verse number 43. Let's look at it. After the two days, he departed for Galilee. Now, Jesus, if you remember, in the earlier portions of John chapter 4, has been spending some days in Samaria where people are coming to faith in him. After he had spent two more days with them, he's back on the direction that he was heading that we learn about in the beginning pages of, or the beginning verses of John chapter 4. He's headed toward Galilee. Now, John gives us a little note about Jesus in verse 44. He says, For Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown. Nazareth was in Galilee, which is where Jesus is heading back to. And so he's given us a note about their disbelief in him, especially those in his own hometown. So it says in verse 45, So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. This is a little interesting because it just said a prophet gets no honor in his hometown, and now it says they're all welcoming him, right? There's a welcome party out there. So a little unique in this moment. We'll circle back. Verse 46, look at it. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. 
And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. There's a hint to why John writes that a prophet does not receive honor in his own hometown, yet the Galileans were welcoming him. Were they actually welcoming him? Well, Jesus would say, no. What it was, was they wanted to see signs and wonders. Look at verse 49. So the official said to him, sir, Jesus, come down before my child dies. And Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. In the midst of his frustration with the people who are around, he still chooses to heal the official's son. Now look at what happens with the official in verse 50. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. And as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. They told him that his son will live. And so he asked them the hour he began to get better. And they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. Now the father knew that this was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And watch this. He himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he had come from Judea to Galilee. Jesus Will you bless our time together in your word? Will you reveal to us what genuine faith looks like? Will you help us investigate our own lives and our belief and our faith and our trust in you? Will you allow us this morning to look through your word and discover where we stand in our faith relationship with you? Lord, will you reveal how you desire for us to respond to you through your word? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Now listen, while I was reading this moment in John, I was faced with examining my own faith in Jesus. I looked at the faith of the Galileans. I looked at the faith of this official when he comes to Jesus at first. I look at the official by the time he gets back home and spends some time with his own household and what's happened with his son. I wrestled with, in these moments, where is my own faith? In other words, if I was one of the people that was present in this encounter between Jesus and this official, what would I be doing? Where do I fit in this story? Would I be like the Galileans who needed more signs and wonders in order to believe? Do I still need more signs and wonders today? How often do I need Jesus to put up a billboard in order for me to trust him? Would I be like the official who believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and then went on his way? Do I take Jesus at his word today or do I make plenty of excuses on why what Jesus shows me in the word really means something different in order that I don't have to obey him? Do I do that? Is that where my faith is today? Would I move forward in obedience to Jesus even before I see anything at work? That's what the official does. He believes the word of Jesus and he goes on his way. He doesn't know what's happened yet, but he trusts Jesus. Is that me? Do I have that kind of trust? Do I have that kind of belief? Do I have that kind of official, authentic, genuine faith? I was left to wrestle with my own personal walk with Jesus. I was left to evaluate what my faith in Jesus looks like right now in this moment. And here's what I want to do today, friends. I want you to be invited into that same conversation with Jesus I want you to think through what Jesus teaches us about belief and faith and trust in him so that we can leave this place this morning with what I would like to call official faith. 
authentic, genuine, believing faith that does more than just knows or even understands. I want us to leave with faith that moves us to obedience in Jesus. That's what happens with this official. He leaves his encounter with Jesus in authentic, obedience-based faith. His faith seen not just in what he believes, but also in how he behaves. His faith seen through his obedience to Jesus. I want to invite you into that conversation, friend. Where is your faith today? And I want to do it by asking you a few questions that I believe John pulls out from this encounter with Jesus and this official. Here's the first question. Does my faith depend on signs? Does my faith in Jesus depend on signs? Ask yourself this question this morning. Does my faith depend on what Jesus can do or what Jesus can give me? Is that the extent of my faith in Jesus? That's what John shows us here. He shows us a faith that depends on signs. Look back at verse 43. After two days, he departed from Galilee. He's finished with his time with the Samaritans, who, by the way, it says earlier in John chapter 4, verse 4, that he had to pass through Samaria. He was already on his way to Galilee, but takes a detour through Samaria. Why? Because people needed to hear about Jesus. He's about to see authentic, genuine, believing faith in the life of the Samaritans that he longs for in the lives of every person. And so he's finishing up that time, and he's back headed toward Galilee. Now, John gives us a little note here. Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, right? He essentially tells us he will not be welcome, yet we discover he is. The Bible says that when he came to Galilee, the Galileans welcomed him, having seen all that he had done in Jerusalem at the feast, for they too had gone to the feast. Now, here's a little side note for you. In John chapter 2, toward the end, it just tells us that Jesus does all kinds of signs and miracles. We don't know all of what he does according to the gospel of John. He doesn't record all of those things. In fact, all he really records is the first miracle that we discover in Cana when he turns water into wine. But we are hinted at the fact that Jesus does plenty of other miracles and signs. And so when he talks about them welcoming him because of what they saw in Jerusalem, because they were at the feast, they clearly saw some things that Jesus did. There were plenty of signs that pointed to the fact that Jesus was someone special. Yet, even though his people knew that, they still would not receive him. This is not the only moment that we read about this. We find this in every gospel account. As a matter of fact, Matthew 13, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. Mark chapter 6, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own household. Luke chapter 4, Jesus said, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. It is clear from every gospel account that Jesus will be unwelcomed among his own people. I know it says he's welcome, but really he's not welcome. What he can do for them is what is welcomed to them. Let me ask you a question. How oftentimes does our faith depend on Jesus doing what we want? 
How often does our faith depend on if Jesus does what I want him to do, if he works the way I want him to work, if he will be like a puppet for me, if he will be like a monkey on stage doing whatever I want him to do, and as long as he does what I want him to do, as long as he fits into my life, as long as he exists on my terms in my way, then I'll have faith in Jesus. You say, well, Danny, maybe they really didn't know what all he could do. No, friends, listen, we know that because of the statement that John makes that Jesus himself had testified that a prophet has no honor in his own hometown, that statement gives us a timeline comparison between this gospel account and all the other gospel accounts. You say, Danny, what do you mean? At this point in time, in the ministry of Jesus, he had done plenty of miracles. He's healed the sick. He's cast out demons. He's raised the dead to life. They know what he can do. No, friends, here's what he's doing. Why would John give us this statement? Why would he talk about not being welcome yet say that he was welcome? Because he's making a comparison between the Jews and their faith, his own people, and the faith of the rest of the world as exemplified by the Samaritans that he just encountered. He's given us a comparison of faith that believes and trusts in him and faith that needs more and more signs in order to follow Jesus. They might believe he can do some great things, but they didn't receive him in a faith that follows. They were willing to observe, but they weren't willing to obey. Are you with me? Their faith was about what Jesus could do for them. I would almost guarantee that most of the world today would welcome Jesus into their home, especially if he was in the habit of doing party tricks like turning water into wine. I could guarantee that almost every household in the world would be more than happy to embrace Jesus that we teach and preach about as long as it doesn't change anything that they want to do. As long as it will fit their schedule and their time, as long as it will fit what they want, then faith in Jesus is acceptable. But that's the difference between his own people in the end of John chapter 4 and the Samaritans that he compares them with earlier in John chapter 4. You see, they believed because of his word, not because of the signs and the things that he could do. The Jews in Galilee were like a lot of people today, maybe even people in this room. They knew Jesus could do things that no one else could do. They believed based on what they were able to see. Really, they believed in Jesus as long as they were able to get what they wanted from him. I love how one commentary writer put it. Listen to these words. When people get what they want, belief comes easy. How will they respond when confronted with the truth? When the true Messiah confronts the fake Messiah of their expectations, which will they choose? There becomes a clash of wills, human expectations versus God's sovereignty. Let me build this scenario for you. Earlier, the Jews at the wedding in Cana, they loved Jesus when he turned water into wine, right? That fit in the box that they wanted. They wanted more wine. Jesus gave it to them. That was acceptable to them. However, just a few verses later, they didn't love him when he turned the tables over in the temple. You want to know why? Because now he was meddling in their lives, right? Now he was asking them to give something up that they enjoyed. The first time he gave them what they wanted. The second time he's correcting an action that shouldn't be there. They loved him when they gave him what they wanted, but they didn't love him when he corrected what was wrong. But listen, the Samaritans were different. You see, the Samaritans received Jesus even though he told them things that they didn't want 
to hear. If you don't remember the story, he meets this Samaritan woman, and one of the first things he does after beginning a conversation with her is he calls her out about her past with all the men that she had been in relationships with. Then he calls her out about her worship because it wasn't genuine. She was trying to change the subject. He didn't tell her what she wanted to hear or give her what she wanted to make her feel happy or good about herself. No, friends. He spoke truth, and they believed it. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Genuine faith doesn't trust Jesus when he's doing things we want. Authentic, genuine faith in Jesus is more concerned with the Savior than it is with the signs. Jesus already told us he knows what's in everybody back in John chapter 2. He knows the ones who are coming to him in genuine faith and those who are coming to him welcoming him just because they want him to do what they want. This is why he highlights coming back to Cana in verse 46. Don't miss that little note. Why is he mentioning Cana? Because that's where he had made the water wine. That's when he had did what they wanted them to do. That's when he did what benefited them and their desires. But what would happen when he didn't? Well, he talks about what will happen when he didn't. It's in verse 48. Jesus said to him, talking to the official, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. Now, what's significant about this is though he's talking to the official, he uses a plural form for the word you. You say, Danny, what in the world do you plural use? What are you talking about? Well, if Jesus was from the South, here's how he would have made this statement. Unless y'all see signs and wonders, y'all will not believe. That's what he says. He's looking at a group of people who just want Jesus for what he can do. And he's saying, hey, if that's where your faith lies, then it's not genuine faith. You say, Danny, Why? Is Jesus so frustrated in this moment? Think about it like this. How many of you have ever given like the greatest Christmas present to your kids and then after they open it up, three minutes later, they're playing with the box instead of the present? Anybody experience that? I spent hundreds of dollars on that incredible gift. But yet you find all your pleasure in the box that it came in. Here's what's happening in this moment between Jesus and those who were his people. He's offering them something incredible through his own life, yet they miss what they need most in Jesus because all they care about is the signs. They miss the one who's doing the signs because they just want more things to happen for them. Why is Jesus so frustrated in this moment? Because they miss that he wants to give them so much more than just what they've seen. Friends, if your faith is only concerned in signs, then you may have missed the Savior who produced the signs. Why is Jesus so frustrated when our faith doesn't go beyond what he can do, when our faith is more about what he can give me than about himself? Why is he so frustrated? Because he wants to give us so much more. So ask yourself this question this morning, does my faith depend on signs? Do I find my faith stronger when Jesus gives me what I think will make me happy? If the answer is yes, then it's possible that your faith might depend on Jesus giving you what you want rather than on Jesus. It's possible that you enjoy the box more than the gift. It's possible that you miss all that he wants to offer you. His own people miss the big picture of Jesus. Let me ask you another question as you think about your own faith. Does my faith depend on signs? But secondly, listen, does my faith depend on situations? 
Does my faith depend on situations? Ask yourself this question this morning. Does my faith depend on Jesus meeting my needs my way? Does my faith depend on Jesus meeting my needs my way? That's what John shows us next. He shows us a faith that depends on situations. Look back at verse 46. I'll show you. So he came again to Cana in Galilee where he had made water, wine, and at Capernaum there was an official whose son was ill. So now we meet this man that Jesus is about to have an encounter with. Obviously, he has some desperate needs. His son is sick. He's willing to travel from Capernaum about 20 miles in order to get to Jesus at Cana because he knows something is different about Jesus. As a matter of fact, he's probably heard the things that Jesus has done. He is famous by this point because of all of the miracles and all the signs. People are following him so that they can see what Jesus does next. By the way, there's nothing wrong, there's nothing wrong with loving that Jesus can do incredible things. The problem is when you love the incredible things more than you love the one who's doing it. You with me? Same thing's happening here. Is there anything wrong with being desperate and finding your way to Jesus? No. The problem is when you only think that Jesus is your last resort rather than, listen to me, friends, he's not our last resort. He's our only resort. You with me? So watch this. Official comes from Capernaum. His son is ill. And when the man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. Here's what the official saying. He's saying, Jesus, I need you to come with me. Stop everything else you're doing. Forget about what else is going on in the world. My world is what's most important. I need you to stop. I need you to come with me, and I need you to meet my need. Now, what's interesting is that the word official has, a, has an interesting meaning. It means someone associated with royalty. Literally, it means king's man. So this guy, we don't really know who he is. This could have been a, a, an extended family member of, of Herod, the king at the time. It could have been a part of his royal court. It could have been uh, some other follower of Jesus. I've got all kinds of things that we could talk about that are interesting that I wasted my time on in the early service that I'm not going to do now because you're welcome. Because who this guy is really doesn't matter. What matters is that this man had a lot of influence. This man had a lot of wealth which provided this guy with a whole lot of authority. This official, regardless of all of his influence, regardless of all of his wealth, regardless of all of his authority, he finds himself coming to Jesus just like anybody else. At some point, no matter what you have, it runs out. And so listen, this guy wouldn't have been unnoticed. Everybody would have seen exactly what's happening in this moment. Though this guy had plenty of resources, though he could have summoned any doctor, any specialist, though he could have brought all the leading experts of the time to help his son, he's tried everything else, and now he finds himself in front of Jesus. The word asked of, uh, uh, of this guy to, to Jesus is also an interesting word. It means a repetitive action. It means that he was not willing to leave until Jesus did something. You know what this word really is? It's not really asked Jesus. It's begged Jesus. He is pretty much at his feet begging Jesus to come. Why? Because his son is at the point of death. He has no other options. With all the resources in the world, he comes to Jesus begging for him to do something. He has heard about him. He knows that he has power. He is in desperate need for what Jesus could do for him in his time of need. In fact, even after Jesus says, all y'all want is a bunch of signs, the guy comes back to him in verse 49, sir, come down before my 
my child dies. He was not taking no for an answer. It doesn't matter that he's royalty. doesn't matter that he's wealthy. doesn't matter that he's an aristocrat or a man with tons of authority. At this point, he's a desperate father who needs help with his son. He has no other options. He has exhausted all of them. And you say, Danny, why is it bad to come to Jesus when you're desperate? It's not. The problem is not that he realizes no one else can help but Jesus. The problem is that he still misses what Jesus can offer him because all he cares about is Jesus meeting his need, his way in that moment. Realize in this, in this moment as he gets to Jesus, he doesn't care about what Jesus can really do. He doesn't care about faith in the Savior of the world. The last thing from his mind is that Jesus is who he says he is. The only thing he can think about is what he needs in that moment. Now, there's nothing wrong with being desperate for Jesus. However, if faith faith in him is dependent on him meeting our needs as we think he should meet them, then what happens when he doesn't do it our way? What happens when Jesus has a better plan than you do? What happens when the need is gone? Will we still have faith even though we don't have that specific need anymore? Friend, listen to me. If your faith is dependent on a certain situation, it may not be genuine faith. Because faith in situations isn't the same as faith in Jesus. Faith in signs isn't the same as faith in Jesus. He's not my last resort. He's my only resort. And that's the type of faith that Jesus is looking for. You say, Danny, what do you mean? Well, let me ask you this last question and I'll show you. Does my faith depend on signs? Does it depend on situations? Or does my faith depend on the Savior? Does my faith depend on Jesus. Ultimately, John wants to show us that genuine faith can't be in signs or situations. It can only be in Jesus. Let me show you what I mean. Look at verse 50. Jesus said to him, even in the frustration, all you people care about is what you want. All you people care about is what you need. All you can see is, are these tempor temporary matters, and that's all you're focused on. When I've got something way bigger in mind, I've got something way more I want to give you, and you're so wrapped up and consumed in yourselves. Regardless of that frustration, Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. Aren't you glad that Jesus meets us right where we are, even though we're not where he wants us to be? Amen. Now watch this. Don't miss the back part of verse 50. The man believed the word Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As a matter of fact, I want to go a little bit further. Verse 51, as he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. Same words that Jesus told him, your son will live, is the words that they tell him, your son will live. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better, and they said to him, yesterday at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that that was the hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. Now I want to pause for a moment, because there's something we miss here if we're not careful. Here's what happens in the life of this official. Jesus shows up in Galilee. He's in Cana. Everybody wants to see him do something. Dance for us, puppet. Dance for us, right? You can do all these things. Show us something spectacular. Matter of fact, that's what people say when they're crucifying him on the cross. If he could uh, save all of the world, if he can do all of these things he says he can do, why can't he save himself? Show us a sign, Jesus. Show us a sign. Jesus is fed up. I'm tired of showing you signs, trying to convince you that I am who I am. If what you've seen is not enough, nothing else will help you. 
And then this man comes desperate in his situation. Nothing wrong with being desperate for Jesus, but he's not desperate for Jesus. He's desperate for what Jesus can do for him. Once again, someone coming, obsessed with what Jesus can do, rather than realizing who Jesus is. But as he walks away from this moment, when Jesus says your son will live, don't miss what he does. He doesn't run back home. He doesn't get back to his house as soon as he can to see if what Jesus said was true. No, scripture tells us he believed the word that Jesus spoke and then he went on his way. In other words, he did whatever business he had left in Cana. You say, Danny, how do we know that? Because it's not until the next day that he's on his way home when his servant come to him and say, your son will live. It's not until hours later that he hears about the recovery of his own child. You say, Danny, why is this significant? Because in the moment that Jesus spoke those words, that guy trusted him even with the life of his own son. In that moment, he doesn't rush home. Why? Because he believes what Jesus said. In that moment, he continues his business in Cana. Why? Because he believed what Jesus said. In that moment, he followed Jesus through obedience-based faith, doing what Jesus said because he believed what Jesus told him. Friends, that's the kind of faith he's looking for. Think about it. He comes to Jesus desperate for his son to be healed, and then he goes on about his business in perfect peace, knowing that Jesus is going to do what he says he'll do. He doesn't rush home to prove it like I had to do with the deer that ran in front of the office. He doesn't rush home to go, hey, 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 look, everybody, he's okay. Jesus really is true. That's not what he does. He continues on his own life, walking the way Jesus told him. Why? Because that's what genuine faith looks like. Let me ask you something. Your faith in Jesus, sorry, is it characterized by what he can do or how he can meet your needs your way? Or is it characterized by no matter what's happening in this life, whether good or bad, you still trust that he is good? That's what Jesus is looking for. You know what the man doesn't really know? He doesn't really know if his son was healed. He's buying some bread or groceries or talking to some distant relative in Cana while his son is still on his deathbed. This may be his last hours to have final moments with his son. He's not worried about any of that, even though he doesn't even know what's happened yet. Why? Because he trusts that regardless, Jesus is good. Friends, that's what he's looking for in our faith. He's looking for people who know that he is good. Listen, real quick, real quick, real quick. This reminds me of a story in the Old Testament. It's found in Daniel chapter 3. It's during the time when the Jews were in captivity by the Babylonians, and we meet a couple of guys. We know them best by Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It's their Babylonian names. They are under Babylonian captivity, and they are issued a decree along with everybody else in Babylon. The king at that time had made an image of himself. And he said, hey, when you hear these sounds, when you hear this music, when you hear these chimes, everybody has to bow down and worship this image. If they don't, they're going into a fiery furnace as punishment, fire that will burn them immediately. You probably remember this story. The sounds go off, the chimes, the bells, the music, whatever it was, it was a whole bunch of different things. I don't remember them, but it happens and they don't bow down. And so of course they face the king and ultimate punishment. You can read about this in Daniel chapter three. And when they're standing before the king, 
We'll sum up Danny version of their words. You ready? They're standing before the king, and the king wants to know, why didn't you bow down to my image? And they don't even want to, they don't even care to give the king an answer. They tell him, we don't have to answer to you, but so that everybody else can hear what's happening, we know that our God will deliver us from you. But then they say, but if he doesn't, we still will only worship him. That's what's happening in this moment. Jesus says your son will live. He goes on about his business because he realizes whatever Jesus says, whatever Jesus does, whatever Jesus offers to me, it's everything. Friend, is that where your faith lies? Does it lie not in what Jesus can do for you? Not if things happen your way according to your plan and your agenda. Does your faith lie in Jesus, trusting good, bad, your way, his way. It doesn't matter. Trusting that whatever happens, Jesus is good. You know what happens when he does? He gets to go back home, tell his entire household what Jesus has done. You remember what happened to his household? They all got saved too. Hey, can you imagine if that's what our faith looked like? that when Jesus says it in his word, we believe it. And that because we believe it, we begin to walk our lives in the way that Jesus told us to walk. You know what that means? Obedience to his word, just like that guy. You know what happens when we begin to obey his word and live as he's called us to live? That, my friends, is genuine, authentic, official faith. You know what happens when that happens in our lives? We then get the chance to tell other people about the goodness of Jesus. And you know what happens? Other people give their lives to Christ. You see the progression? You see the difference in the signs and the desperation and the meet my needs my way? You see the difference in that type of belief and the one that says, Jesus, you are all I need. Listen, friends, I don't know where you're at this morning. I don't know what kind of things you're dealing with, but here's what I know. Every person in this room needs to wrestle with their faith in Jesus. Listen, some might be in the room this morning and you're like, well, Danny, I know that Jesus is good. I've got some intellectual understanding that Jesus did cool things and I like church and these people are pretty nice to me. And maybe the extent of your faith and your belief doesn't go beyond the fact that Jesus can do some really good things. Maybe you're in that signs area. Listen, nothing wrong with knowing that Jesus can do good things. I have testimony after testimony in my own life of how Jesus has done good things but it's not about the good things he does for me. It's about Jesus, friend. Listen, if that's you, let me invite you this morning to surrender your life to Christ. Listen, let me invite you into a faith that doesn't just say, Jesus, you do great things, but a faith that says, Jesus, you in fact are great. Whether you do something that I want or not, you are Jesus and I want you. Friend, if that's you today and you need to give your life to Jesus, listen, in just a moment, I'll be back there in that lobby. I'd love for you to slip out from the pew that you're in. And as we're singing, you just come back and find me. Say, Danny, I want that type of faith. I want believing, saving. I want genuine, authentic faith in Jesus. What do I do? And I'll take my Bible and I'll tell you how you can begin following Jesus. I know you're here. I invite you to believing obedience-based faith in Jesus. But you know what else I know? A lot of people in this room have faith in Jesus. A lot of you have given your life to Jesus many years ago. But you know what I know about faith? Not only is it important in saving us, it is important in both sanctifying us and sustaining us every day of our lives. I guarantee there's some Christians in this room who are just like me, who sometimes you still fall back and go, and you know what, Jesus, you didn't do what I wanted you to do. You still fall back into Jesus. You didn't meet my need my way. 
you still fall back into getting trapped with falling in love with the box rather than the gift. I know you. You wanna know why I know you? Because I am you. I do it too. So I wonder what Christian in the room today, Jesus is saying, listen, friend, it's not about your way. It's not about what you think should happen. It's not about another sign. I've given you thousands of them. It's about you falling in love with me. Christian, have you lost your way and placed your faith in some other things? Friend, listen, this story is not just about this official whose son needed to be healed. We don't know his name. We don't know his son. We don't know what happens after it. You want to know why? Because it's really not about that. It's about your faith in Jesus. Where is it? What does it lie in? How genuine, how serious, how real, how authentic? Do you follow Christ? If not, friend, you can today. If not very well, you can do it better as you decide today, respond to Jesus by trusting in him. Let me pray for you. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. You're awesome. Thank you so much.